You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Jim Bartolomea, SVP, Global Head of People and Places at ClickUp. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Surprise, surprise, Daniel. It, uh, it's, it's us again. It's, this is like our third recording in, in a week. Feels like we've had a lot of these. A third recording in, I think, four or five days. Okay, so, that's yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> so really excited about our, our conversation today. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Welcome to the Modern People Leader. Aside from it being a Monday, pretty good. Exactly. Uh, but I'm excited to be here as well, and I really appreciate you having me. Well, we, we have a lot to cover and uh, we have a few a few traditions that we like to stick with. The first is we we start with good news stories. It's just a way for us to uh, to to show a little gratitude and uh, and recognize the the positive things that are going on in our lives. I, I'm going to start, and I kind of have a petty one. Usually, I try to make it meaningful, but it was a particularly bad sports weekend for me. All of my teams seem to lose except for one, and that is Austin FC, the only professional sports team we have in Austin, and uh, we're headed to the semifinals of the MLS Cup, which that's pretty pretty awesome. We've only been to the playoffs once. This is our second year in existence, so as you can imagine, it's people are pretty excited here in Austin. That's awesome. Jim, you want to go next, or you want me to take it? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Daniel. I'll, I'll go, I'll go next. Mine is also personal and it's nothing big at all, but you know, Halloween is this weekend planning on going to a Halloween party on Friday or sorry, Saturday. And, uh, already got, you know, the costume picked out and, um, just excited to see all my friends. So excited for, for another Halloween. Well, I, I gotta ask what are you going to be like? That's, that's the <laughs> Thank most you. important Thank part. You. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's there's a theme to this Halloween party. It has to be something that's related to music and it's up to the people to, to decide to use their creativity and imagination. So you could be an album cover, you could be an artist, you could be, you know, a character from a movie that's, that's music themed. So I chose bad bunny. If you're familiar with, with him. <laughs> yes. And um, Jim, I, I wish you could see the costume cause it, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my wife is going to like do this crazy hairdo for me. I have you little, know, little like teeny a, tiny braids, right? Yeah, like, yeah. 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 I have like a sweatsuit that I'm wearing. I have fake earrings. I, I have it all. So I'm, uh, I'm ready to win best costume. If there was an award for, for people showing up to this party, I'd be ready to win that award. Well, maybe, maybe there should be an award and you can give it to yourself, right? That would yeah. be <laughs> self-proclaimed. <laughs> I have a I have a, a click up Bad Bunny story. I don't know if you guys know this, but our our headquarters are actually in within Petco Park, which is where the Padres play. Mm. Bad Bunny did two straight nights, completely sold out all Petco Park, and we have a deck that overlooks Petco Park. So our employees were there 
all weekend uh, for the company. That's awesome, pretty, pretty cool employee perk, right? To have a, you know, the Padres are out now. They're not going to the World Series, but we would have done something special if they did. So, yeah, I have a coworker that that lives in San Diego, and he said that it was absolutely insane that weekend. The volume level. Um, <laughs> I live outside of downtown, and I could hear it. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it, it was it was pretty. It puts remarkable. on a good show. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't. I, I want to see some pictures. So my my kind of personal as well. Well, it's personal and work. I'm going to tie it together. I spent last week in Dublin with our AMIA team. And if you haven't been, Dublin's just a fantastic city and the people are some of the best in the world, just so friendly and so welcoming. So really had a great time there with the team, getting to know them better and uh, returned home to the first time I have left my four-month-old son. So that was also pretty cool to kind of come back and be like, oh yeah, he, he lights up your life. So yeah, those two things together. So I, I felt a little guilty about leaving. Uh, I was going to say that's hard Four months. Yeah, yeah it, it's tough, but uh, this was an important trip and now I'm back home with him. So I'm excited to be back. Every, everyone survived. Everyone, everyone survived. Everyone survived. <laughs> I have a, I have a superhero <laughs> for a wife right now who uh, uh, is holding, holding down the fort. So shout out to all the superhero wives out there and partners and yes. co-parents that, uh, that really hold it down. So, well, that's awesome. So You've done a lot of amazing things in the people space, Jim. Like, walk us through your story. Explain to us how that led to you becoming the SVP, Global Head of People and Places at ClickUp. Yeah, um, like many people who find themselves in my seat, I didn't start my career thinking I was going to do this. It really was happenstance. I happened to be in college working full-time at Penn State. And uh, was doing a lot of the HR aspects of the job. I was running the indoor track there. And uh, I had met a friend's cousin who was a technical recruiter at a semiconductor company. And he's like, you'd be great at recruiting. You should get into recruiting. It's, it's actually a pretty good living and it's a fun thing to do. So, you know, that led to me getting a recruiting job right out of college, kind of grew in the recruiting space, went the whole agency route. Eventually found myself at Qualcomm, which is obviously a huge semiconductor company. And really that's where my career kind of took off, moved the way up to kind of being a people leader in the recruiting team. And actually through an acquisition, had the chance to really transition my career into what I'll call, you know, proper HR or HR generalist or HR business partner work. And that really was an inflection point for me, do, you know, kind of raising my hand saying, hey, I'll move to the Bay Area for a year to do this acquisition. And that set me on the course I'm, I'm on now. When I left Qualcomm, I actually moved on to be the head of people at a smaller publicly traded company here in San Diego called MyTech. If you've ever deposited a check on your phone, you've used their technology. So actually, most people do know who they are. They just don't know that they used it. And then from there, actually just finished up four phenomenal years with ServiceNow, which is obviously one of the the largest cloud SaaS companies going and had about uh, more than half the company under my remit from a people perspective. So I wasn't looking, but when ClickUp called, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you listen to kind of the thread of my career there, Qualcomm, MyTech, ServiceNow, all of those companies have San Diego roots, either headquartered there or founded there in the case of ServiceNow. And I really wanted to be a part of that next great San Diego story. And our ClickUp was already on my radar, right? You don't raise, you know, uh, $400 million at a $4 billion valuation without being on my radar in San Diego. And so one of the last 
career bucket list things that I've really thought about is I, I love to be a part of taking a company public. And so there's a lot of other reasons why I joined, but that's initially what got me excited and ready to, to talk to ClickUp. So is that, that's, that's my, my elevator career there. <laughs> yeah, that, a, cu- a couple of things that jumped, jumped out at me in your story. One is there's a growing number of people that we've talked to that have started in the, like a large corporate space. I, I feel like there are, two, there are two types of HR people that work with startups, like hypergrowth companies or those that start in the, the early, early stage point and they kind of, you know, ride it out, ride it out, you know, go from next inflection to next inflation, bigger company, bigger company. And then there's like the opposite side where you start with a larger kind of, you know, blue chip IPO company and you work your way the other way. And uh, it's interesting because lately we've had more of those that have worked at these bigger companies and have like ended up more and more in the startup space. So that, that must be really exciting for you. It is exciting. And I've always been, and this is like an interview answer, like a, a employee interview answer, but I've always been a person who likes to roll up my sleeves and actually get stuff done. So I do think that being kind of a core value of mine makes me more suited for a role like this, even though I come from that bigger company environment. And then you have the added benefit of, I don't want to say you've seen the movie because every company grows differently, but you have mm-hmm. seen what do things look like at scale? What are some best practices or things we should avoid? I think that's really the advantage of my past experiences. And ServiceNow in particular was an interesting one because they actually were not nearly as mature as you think they were when I joined them four, four or five years ago. So the, the other thing is, and, and I share this, is M&A. Uh, being a a place where you you use that to kind of expose yourself to a variety of different aspects of HR. I started in I guess what would be called talent mobility or global mobility. Yeah, did that did that for five years and then jump ship to the corporate side. And then the first job I had was on an M and A team, and we were just running you know due diligence post post bid acquisition uh, post bid acceptance integration work. And next thing I knew, it was like, wow, I went from this tiny insular world of global mobility to understanding the, the full life cycle, plus all the other things that come with, with mergers and acquisitions type of work. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome. And mergers and acquisitions, M&A is, that's an always on job, right? <laughs> you, learn, you learn so much, you just throw into the fire. It's, it can be very exhausting though. And so ClickUp must be thrilled to have you as the new global head of the people function. And so what is the, the elevator pitch on ClickUp? You know, explain to us what, what your core business is. Yeah, uh, I actually always start with one of our advertising ta- taglines, which is one app to replace them all. You know, kind of the Lord of the Rings type thing. I think that's always... It. Yeah, but really then where I go from there is like, hey, it really is like an all-in-one productivity platform where you can do so much for your company, whether it's super small or it's at a large company. We can do really big teams as well, right? We do project management, we do goals, we do collaboration, whiteboards, you name it, like all of it within one platform. And because of that, it creates a lot more visibility into what's going on within a company. I love that. And so are you guys, do you use this in, within the people function itself? Do you use ClickUp for ClickUp within your oh, people? When we, when we talk about drinking our own champagne, we drink our own champagne. Actually, probably the most intimidating part of joining ClickUp was like, oh, they use ClickUp for everything. 
And I played around with ClickUp, but I was not ready for it to be like the main place where I get most of my work done. And now I'm seeing the power of it. So it, we really do drink our own champagne and actually it's opened my mind to like, oh, okay. Like I don't need to buy a vendor that could do onboarding. We can do it within ClickUp. We can create this workflow. It's really, I think from an employee experience perspective, and I know we'll, we'll touch on that at some point, I'm sure, but that we can really do a lot of great things by keeping it within one platform for employees. Well, well, I won't, I won't steal thunder from a, a later part in the conversation and, and I'll skip to, to my last question before we jump in to the core discussion. And that's why should we be jealous that you get to work at ClickUp apart from the sick, you know, view that you get to the bad bunny concert. Cause that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, if you're in San Diego, definitely pretty, pretty cool office space. But no, I mean, we've got a lot of remote employees as well. So like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that's why you come to work for ClickUp. So actually, what I just talked about is using our product uh, is, should be a big draw. It actually simplifies work quite a bit. And by extension, that makes people a lot more productive, right? And that's like our mission statement is, do you like productivity? Come work at ClickUp because we use our own product to be more productive, right? Um, so um, some other stuff that I would just say is like, we have a lot of fun. It's a fun culture. With that fun comes a lot of flexibility. We really do focus on productivity and results rather than time. I think that's important. And then the last thing I'd say is one of our core values is grow 1% every day. I love that as like a, a core value. So that can look different for different people, but whether that's within your job or personally or whatever, but we, we live that core value. And so growing 1% every day, a lot of growth-minded individuals. That's amazing. So, you know, based on, on what I've been able to, to, to find online, either on LinkedIn or just doing a, a few quick searches on ClickUp, it looks like y'all have grown a ton in the last two years. And correct me if I'm wrong, is it, did y'all go from 200 to 900 employees in the last yes. couple of years? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Congrats. <laughs> and I, I imagine with that come some growing pains and you're the new people leader. Which, which challenges are you the most excited to tackle first? Well, first, let me give credit to all the people that grew it from 200 to 900. I just got to show up and say, okay, all right. This is, <laughs> well, I still don't know how they did it. The recruiting challenges alone of that kind of growth is, is so difficult. But yeah, so what I promised the team when I came in was the first thing I was going to do is actually listen. And I know that might sound weird, right? Because you come into a startup or a late stage startup and it's like bias to action. And I have a bias to action, but it really is important that I didn't come in and say like, this is the playbook. This is how we we're going to do it. Like, I really wanted to understand the culture and the context before I went and said, okay, now is there some low hanging fruit for sure? But really it has been a listening tour. And so I'm really excited to, to tackle some of the things that I've unco uncovered here. And if I was to tell you where I think we can get the best or the most improvement right now, what I've uncovered in my first seven weeks is this is pretty natural at a, a company our size is you create a lot of perks and fringe benefits, right? Because those are splashy and whatever. But then as you grow globally, those become harder to be equitable and really have that global impact. So I really am starting to look at what are our global benefits, global processes, global systems, so that we can have a more consistent and equitable employee experience across the globe. 
Love it. And so, you know, and we one of the things. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I feel like that's a very relevant topic. We actually just had Kim Rower on last week from Oyster. And that's exactly what they're tackling, like, you know, global processes and systems and making a more equitable workplace. So, yeah, it, it sounds like you have a lot of work ahead of you, but um, an exciting, exciting challenge. Yeah. And it's not easy, right? Also, you got to get employees comfortable with the fact that like remote employees might get something that in-office employees don't get. And people in Europe get things that people in the U.S. don't get. But where do you find those opportunities to be kind of similar and equitable? Like that that's the fun of the, of the challenge here. So, Well, and, and are you guys, so where have you ended up post-pandemic, you know, new working style? Are you guys like digital first, hybrid model? What, what does that look like? remote yeah. completely? Uh, no, we're not remote completely. Definitely not. As I mentioned, we watch Bad Bunny concerts from, from our, our headquarters. We've actually circled around this idea of we're okay with people being remote, but we also think place is an important part of culture and connection. And so we really kind of rallied around this idea of we're going to have a headquarters. It's going to be in San Diego. That's where we've made our, our home base. But where we have places where we have critical masses of employees, we're going to create these hub locations. And they're not going to be your traditional hub locations where there's a desk for every person. It's probably going to look a little more like a Soho house, right? And it's not going to be a ton of square footage, but it's a place for innovation, collaboration, uh, bringing customers, and also getting employees to feel that connection to your culture and your brand. So we're going to pop those up over the globe. And then the last part of this, like I think such an important part of connection is Whereas you think about pre-pandemic, what, what would we be spending on a real estate footprint? It, it would be enormous when you think about Insane. all these things. Yeah. So, of course, you're never going to get the CFO to agree, I'm going to take all those dollars and pour it into something. They're going to they're take some of those savings back, right? But what our CFO and I are really aligned on is this idea of let's take some of those savings and pour it into T&E, right? Because bringing people together is still going to be a really important part of driving culture. So we've got this kind of, we're okay with people to be remote, but we bring them in. When we do have places, they have really specific purposes around what they're for, and we don't force people into them. We want reasons why people want to come in. So that's kind of our, our overarching strategy on that. I love that. I, you know, we were fully remote and it was, you know, a decision we made like shortly after the core pandemic hit and and we, it's worked well for us, but we're in the grand scheme of things, small, right? And so, you know, when it, at our size, it's still easy to create the connection points at scale, though, that becomes a lot harder. But what you're describing is like, honestly, the ideal kind of situation for me, at least I find that, you know, I we're okay. You know, I'm okay personally working fully remote. The company is okay working fully remote. However, when I do have a desire to work, it's usually in a co-working space type of format just to be around. The, it, it To me, it's not only the connectivity, but also the social aspect of, you know, getting out, being around other people, feeding off of that energy that others are bringing into, into the shared workspace. And so, I love where you guys have ended up because it's like a bit of both. It's like that perfect that perfect balance for me at least. Yeah, yeah and listen, w- w- we are essentially selling a platform that creates a lot of async opportunities. I'm not saying that that isn't a huge part of the future of work because it is, and that's why people love our product so much. But there is still an element of 
it's hard to replace that in-person connection sometimes, right? And so we want to be open to creating those. I, I'm sure you guys have heard the term moments that matter, right? So what are those mm -hmm. moments that we want to bring people together for? And so can you tell us uh, on, on that point, you know, that's exactly where I was going to, to dig in a little bit deeper in the, the factor of connection, because that is, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. It is an area, in fact, at Workify, you know, we look at six measures of engagement. Connection has been the, one of the top three lowest scoring now. You know, the others have changed, but connection remains a low, one of the lowest scoring aspects of engagement. And so me, it, it's got to be more than just the, the physical connection. There also needs to be meaning when we are spending time, to, your, to use your words, the moments that matter. And so what have you guys done around, like, what are those moments that matter? And, and have you given some guidelines, some guidance around as an employee, how to look for, you know, when will, when, what are those, you know, those ideal connection points to make with my colleagues to build culture? Yeah. I, I'd be lying if I didn't say we're still learning, right, as, as are most companies when it comes to this. But the, the things we started to rally around are like, you know, uh, quarterly strategy sessions or, you know, there's specific um, milestones that we're preparing for or projects we're preparing for, customers we're preparing for. So it's a little bit of ad hoc and it's a little bit of cadence, I guess is probably the best way to say it. I think we're landing on these ideas of, okay, this type of meeting we're going to get together for, right? And that's once a quarter. This type of meeting, when it comes up ad hoc, we'll figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And by the way, creating the spaces, so we're not always paying for a hotel or like a hotel space or whatever, creating spaces within our offices where we can host these things is actually a big part of our strategy too. Because again, you create that connection to company and brand that you wouldn't otherwise get when you run out of ballroom. So we're figuring it out, but you can hear we, we really are like rallied around this idea of it is important and you know how often people are going to travel and i think it you know it's probably less for engineering than it is for marketing right a little more of a collaborative function but we're figuring it out just like everybody else yeah that makes sense i feel like nobody has really figured this out this is something that we hear from almost every guest that we have on keeping people connected in this this new work environment is just hard and you know you You've, you've talked about moments that matter. And um, when I hear that, I think about the employee experience and, you know, I, building a phenomenal employee experience from, from candidate to exit is, is really hard, especially when you have some people that are fully remote, some people that are working hybrid, some people that are coming into the office, you know, you have people all over the country. So, you know, for, for the HR leaders out there that are listening and wondering, what they could be doing to improve their employee experience, what would you tell them? Like, where should they start? Is, is there a way that they could be evaluating the different moments that matter or, or points within the employee life cycle and, and, you know, figuring out how they can close those gaps? Yeah. Well, you have a lot of really uh, amazing HR leaders that listen to your program. So I'm not going to presume to say this is what they should be doing. I'll maybe just say, here's the way I'm thinking about it, which is, I, I like the analogy of building a house. And so when we think about the employee experience, we're thinking about foundation and plumbing and those things first, because you can't miss on the simplest things, right? If you're, if you're onboarding someone and you don't get them into benefits on time, you've already maybe lost trust with that employee, right? Uh, so I think, you know, payroll is something that is probably 
the function that, you know, I feel bad for them. They, they have the bar is perfection and anything less than that is you've committed a sin. Unacceptable. Uh, so yeah, It really is. It's crazy, right? But you, that's table stakes. That's plumbing and that's foundational work. I've, start, I've started my focus since I came to click up on those things first. Like, are we nailing the basics? And then we can start building the walls, right? And we can think about talent development and manager conversations and career conversations and how are we enabling those? And then eventually we're, you know, we're hiring an artwork and we've got career passing journeys and all these great things, right? But really the way I've been thinking about this again is I've started with the basics and let's make sure those are perfect. And then we can start doing those really incredible things throughout the journey. And when you think about the basics, like, you know, so an example you gave was, was payroll. What are, what are some of the other basics that you're, you're really focused on right now? Yeah. So, I mean, let's just use onboarding. I mean, we could go all the way back to like the candidate experience, but I'll just start, I'll, I'll take it to the journey of you've accepted an offer. Onboarding is, it's your first chance to make a great impression, right? After yeah. the candidate experience. It's like, did we get Daniel his laptop? He's a remote employee. Did Daniel get his laptop? to be starting day one, you know, was he able to log in? Did he have his account set up provision? You know, that that's employee experience, right? And there's yeah. so many things when it comes to onboarding, the benefits, right? I-9, you name all the things that you think about you need to do in an onboarding. And by the way, that gets even more complicated as you start growing your global presence. Those are, those are things I'm thinking about are, are plumbing, right? Is employees expect pretty much perfection there in the same way they do pay- payroll. So you can't mess those up. Yeah. I, great onboarding can go a long way. Oh um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The company that I work for, they really, really nailed onboarding. And I just remember being blown away by my experience. I was like, you know, and I, I even like mapped it out from like 20 days before I started to the day I started to the next 30 days. And I was like, wow, whoever designed this was, is, is a baller. Cause this is amazing. Like, and I feel like every new hire, so I get, I get booked for like these, these new, new hire meetups. So mm-hmm. every week I, I usually have at least one new hire call on my calendar. And it's the first thing that I hear from every new hire. Like, wow, like we really have, you know, there's a great onboarding process here. Um, yeah. And I, I just feel like that sets the. Uh, you know, the expectation for what's to come and gets them really excited and bought into everything. Yeah, I love that. So then to take it back to my analogy, Daniel, it's like your company probably had already figured out the let's make sure the computer's there in provision, the benefits are enrolled, you know, the I-9's done. And now they start thinking about like experientially for Daniel, what does that look like? We're going to have him meet an employee, you know, uh, we're going to have his first 90 days all mapped out as far as uh, experiences and people he's going to meet. Like that's, that's how I'm thinking about building the employee experiences, nail it and then build from it. Yeah. I love that is, and I love the house analogy. So when you think of like the surprise and delight moments for employees, is that, is that the artwork? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't thought about it. That's yeah. I, I do think though the artwork is proud. Although Let's also, I, I do think, and I challenge my team on this at past companies and at ClickUp now, it's like, let's not forget that even the most simple things or the table stake things, you can surprise and delight with the simplicity That's true. or the, the process itself, right? They don't have to be painful when you have a leave question, right? Or you're going on leave, which by the way, is a moment that matters. And again, a thankless, much like payroll, gotta nail it. 
you can surprise and delight even in those table stakes moments. Yeah, I I think that 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 is a good way of looking at it, particularly since you are engaging. Your, well, you're hiring first, and then you're needing to engage individuals that we already talked about need to be on board of your mission of of finding new ways. Right? You've got the one app to, to rule them all, and you want to instill this kind of sense of 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 testing and discovering and new use cases that you can use and harness your, your technology with it. I, I would, I could see how you would want your HR team to be looking at, you know, the, the work that you're doing to re to enhance the employee experience in a similar way. Like, right. There's going to be some use cases that are going to be earth shattering. There are going to be others that are just really kind of, you know, tinkering or tweaking the process. We can have a big impact without, having to it to not everything has to be a grand slam. And I think yeah. that's a smart way of looking at it. Yeah. I have an old, an old CEO who used to talk about this concept and, and really he was applying it to enterprise software, but he always used to say, we want consumer grade experiences in enterprise software. What if we like applied that thinking to, to people or HR, right? What's a consumer grade experience of, you know, I've got this question, how does it get solved? Right. Because, it, you know, I can open my phone and I can get a car at my house in four minutes. That's consumer great experience. Can mm -hmm. we start thinking about what we're doing within our people function to really create that employee experience and those consumer great experiences? And so to build off of the, the question that Dan, Daniel just asked around employee experience. Uh, and just re, you know, reassessing the experience and evolving it. So how does culture work fit into all of this? Because I would, I would imagine as well that at least when I've seen people leaders hired into their role at phases like where you are, where you've just had this rapid growth, you know, two hundred and nine hundred employees. That's a lot of change and new lo locations, new geographies, uh, new functions. That does, in my opinion, that has an impact on the culture. And let's assume it didn't for a second. You've also been operating in the same environment the last three years that everyone else has, which has been a continuous cycle of change after change after change. And so I have the I have a belief that like culture work is something that we should all be doing right now in some way, shape, or form. And so being seen as that you're new in your role, you know, is culture your, something you're taking on? Is something that you're looking at? Is this how does it relate to the overall employee experience? Because I feel like those are you know you're you're looking at similar things in in different ways. Just curious, um, your thoughts there. Yeah. So a few things. I'll start with just saying, you know, the obvious, which is, although a lot of people look to the people function and say, what are you doing to drive culture? I think that's a shared responsibility across the entire company, right? Now, are we the, the function that probably does the most to drive it and operationalize it through a, a, a number of different avenues? Yes, but we don't own it. We're just drivers of it, keepers of it, enhancers of it, whatever you want to call it, right? So it has been early on in my journey here, it has been top of mind for me. And really what I've been looking at is, okay, what are those core values that really shape our culture? And across all the things we do, are we instituting programs or messages or whatever you want to name it, you know, all, all those things are, are the things that we're driving 
helping to further those core values in that culture. And so you can pretty much apply that lens to anything you're doing, right? Which is when we think about what does our performance life cycle look like? Well, how much are we tying back to our core values, right? And the culture, when we, we enable a manager and employee to have a career development conversation, are we doing that in the framework of what we, our core values are? So I, I really like that idea of just like apply that lens over everything that we're doing in the people function, and then you're helping to drive culture. Love it. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like culture is a huge part that for, for why people stay, right? You're building strong advocates for your, your employer brand, your EVP, your culture. Again, I, I feel like these are all concepts that are similar, but slightly different, but definitely an emerging area that has to be met. At least it's come up a lot in our modern people leader conversations is development and opportunity for employees. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is we're in an environment, maybe it's changed over the last, you know, last quarter or so, but there is still, you know, individuals need more than like the table stakes of a great culture, you know, my, the foundational, you know, my, my, my basic level expectations of the company, me getting paid benefits, et cetera, all that's happening. More and more employees want to see, do I have a clear path for development? Do I have a, a clear understanding of what my next role could be and how I get there? Do I have to ask to, to get to that next role? Will it evolve organic? Like what, it, what do all these things look like? And I'm just curious, is, is that, you know, the topic of talent development, career development, is this something that's a priority for ClickUp right now? 100%. Uh, I won't call it the top priority. It's probably 1A, 1B, you know, there's a bunch of top priorities, but I do think that's just, and, and I don't want to make myself sound like the old HR head, but like, I, I really do feel like the, the idea of talent development and career conversations has accelerated so much over the last like five to 10 years to, it is so important that organizations nail this. Whereas I think in the past, it was more uh, like, oh, you should be happy you're here. You know, you've got a job with our organization. Now it's like, you are re-recruiting people, right? Let us show you what you can be with our company. And so we're no different than everyone else. We've got to nail that. Um, it, so it is. It's just the inner, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, cause I'm an old head, old HR head, whether I like to admit it or not, but I feel like that's something back in the day that you as an, as well, organizations felt like, we'll wait, you know, just wait, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Like yeah. when the time comes, when it's appropriate, you focus on what you're doing, getting acclimated, you know, delivering value, whatever, but we'll get to career conversations when we get to that. And now that's just been completely turned upside down. It feels like it's an expectation within the first week or first month that employee starts a job that they're having these conversations and understanding what, what, what the future will entail. I, so, it is not uncommon for an employee to be like, hey, you know, what's it take to get to the next level? You know, how do I internally transfer within their first few months, which years ago that again, I'm dating myself here, but like that didn't feel like a conversation was happening as much. And the great organizations were probably focused on top talent. Now you need to be focused across all talent. These conversations have to be happening, yeah. right? Agree. Jim, how many people are on your people team? Just curious. I should know that answer off the top of my head, but we are uh, <laughs> uh, if, inclusive of, of recruiting. I think we've probably got about 35 people. Okay, yeah. cool. 
So, you know, you mentioned that at this point, as the the brand new people leader, really your job is just to listen and really understand the context of the business. So I'm curious, like if you're looking at the the plumbing and the foundation of the house and you're identifying areas of opportunity, once you've been able to, I guess, say like, hey, these are going to be our quick wins, how do you get the whole team bought in? Because I imagine that's hard being the new people leader, they have the way that they were doing things for, you know, the past couple of years. What is that? How do you think about that as a new people leader? Great well, question, Daniel. <laughs> speaking of moments that matter, you're catching me the day before my first people summit, um, which means I'm bringing everyone in uh, across the globe to San Diego to actually get us aligned on priorities and uh, where we're going. Because I inherited a team that, and this is through nobody's fault, like we kind of piecemealed out the people function to different parts of the business because we had a people leader, they, they left. And so I really am inheriting a team and trying to bring it together and create that cohesion. So I felt like, oh yes, we're going to cover a lot of strategy and a lot of priorities and things like that over the next few days. But just as importantly, building that connection and really getting that idea of like, we're one people team it's going to be a really important intention of these next few days. So that, that, that truly has been my intentions that I got here. <clears throat> I've got to get everybody together. Um, moment that matters is kind of resetting the vision of the people team for everyone. So we're all rowing in the same direction. Yeah. You know, it's actually something we haven't really talked about. Like how do you create that atmosphere of, of, of a one people team, especially if you have 34 people on your team so what all do you have planned for this, this people summit? Can you share a yeah. little bit more about that? Yeah, no, a lot, a lot of personal connection, of course, <laughs> um, uh, investing in them a bit, doing a little bit of like, we're doing a strength session. I don't know if you guys are strength finder fans, but I am. So we're going to, we're going to invest in them a bit. And then what we're going to do is kind of co-create the strategy and the priorities, Daniel, which I think um, when we co-create, it creates a shared, shared sense of ownership. And listen, there, I'm not gonna lie, I am a leader too that has like certain like non-negotiables, uh, which is, you know, you guys know the people function really well. We have our disagreements between COEs and business partners and, and, and TA and whatever. We're gonna go back to the business with a unified front on everything we do though, right? Because I think it's so important that we show up as a people team because it doesn't matter what you do, we're all just HR. Uh, back to our, our leaders. So I'm going to hopefully instill that that mindset with the team and and really expect us all to operate in that way. I I love this. And I, I'm going to keep asking. I, hopefully you're, because we're now on a tangent here and I hope that's okay, Jim. I love tangent. I, I, I'm curious, like how in your experience, and this is not ClickUp related. I mean, obviously you're just getting started. You have your offsite tomorrow, starting tomorrow or very, very soon. And, uh, and so how do you, going back to your comment of being the people function, being a, a unified front to the business, how does that, how can you do that in a scalable way so that you are not being, I guess, paralyzed by consensus and, you know, final approvals, you know, what, what is that healthy functioning scalable, unified people function. What, what has that looked like for you in the past? Yeah. Like, what do you aspire, you know, when you, when you visualize like what the team you're creating and the team culture that you're creating, and obviously that will nest 
an, within the ClickUp culture itself, but you you obviously you also as a leader have to have like a a, a team culture as well that you're instilling. And so I'm, I know you haven't implemented anything yet, but I'm just curious, what does that look like, and how do you avoid some of the uh, the dysfunctional aspects that I mentioned earlier, which to me really comes down to grinding to a to a halt, inability to enact change because you're overplaying the unified piece. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be actually get real tactical in terms of how I think about how you can hopefully eliminate some of this stuff, which is um, our org design and our operating model matter quite a bit in creating clarity of roles and responsibilities. And so we're going to get that work done up front. And we're going to say like, you know, the decision rights rest here for this particular thing, right? I, doing that work up front will help significantly in speeding you up on the back end, uh, Stephen. So I really want to do that work. I really want everybody to have a really shared understanding of this is how we work. This is how we're structured here, are where the decision rights lay and can we all be bought in on this and let's move it forward. So, I mean, my, my answer really goes to this tactical idea of you got to structure yourself and operate in, in the way you want to drive speed. And then the other thing that we will also need to figure out, which I think is key to any operating model is what are your operational rhythms to make sure people are talking and make sure there's that East-West collaboration going on. Because the last thing I want, and at my team size, we should definitely not have silos, but the last thing we want is we scale as silos. So baking in operational rhythms and cadences so that we are talking East-West and reevaluating those as you grow too, right? Does what we have now work for where we're going or have we outgrown this? We'll keep looking at those things. So hopefully that answers your question. No, that does. That's great. It's funny. We, uh, we, I, I agree, particularly with the on the rhythm and you know from, on the communication side of thing and the the collaboration and the alignment. The the rhythms are are clutch, and you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of the traction EOS enterprise operating system. I forget what exact yeah. acronym stands <laughs> for, and uh, and they use the L tens in in. When Daniel and I worked together, we, we adopted this system and it worked so well for us. It's so ingrained in our minds that even our modern people leader, which, you know, doesn't relate to our day jobs, we, we have an L10, like we have this similar meeting rhythms just because that is so ingrained and it's like our def- default way of operating. And so yeah. it's really I love- powerful. I, and at my last organization, I think one of the most powerful things they implemented was the decision-making framework that every, every, you kicked off a project or a work stream and everybody said, okay, who's got, who's input, who's, you know, executing, who's decision rights. We had this framework and we all said, who's got it, who's got it. And then you could run. Right. So I think you guys probably had that same sort of clarity at your last place. Right. Exactly. Definitely. So Jim, managers have been a hot topic for us in 2022. Some of our guests like Melissa Wernick from Kraft Heinz have even called it the year of the manager. So in your experience, is there any one thing that you've seen companies get wrong when, when hiring managers? Um, yeah. Uh, hiring or promoting people to be managers who are not uh, built to be a manager or don't have a desire to be a manager, right? They're doing it either for the increased pay that comes with that or the ability to have power or influence. that's the biggest mistake, right? And particularly, I I like to think about technical teams. It usually comes from a place of you reward people that are good at one thing and expect them to be good at another thing. So I always say, 
We want managers who want to be managers and are good managers or have the skills to be good managers. Yeah. Do you you think, do you think Jim, that in the frenzy of the great resignation, when it seemed like anyone and everyone was ready to resign from their jobs and move on, do you think that we promoted a wave of managers too quickly as, as a quick fix in, in like we kick this can, the development, the true developing talent and making sure that we're preparing individuals to be managers. And I only ask this, we, you know, we've had uh, Jackson Lynch came on and he, he, you know, serial CHRO does, you know, a ton of consulting for big PE firms, et cetera. And we had this conversation as it related to people leaders, heads of HR and, and now like, I, you know, I can't get this thought out of my mind. Like, have we, have we created a systemic problem that maybe we don't, we, we won't see the repercussions of like in the near term, but when we start to getting to succession planning and the future leaders of our companies, do you think there's a risk that we may have done some individuals, some injustice by promoting them too early? Just curious. I mean, I don't know where he landed on this topic, but my guess is yes. I, I don't know how with the amount of people that we saw leaving organizations that you weren't going to make some mistakes, right? Uh, unless you had a really good talent management system in place where you'd already identified the people that were ready for that next. I'm going to guess most organizations, we made those mistakes and we probably promoted a lot of people. I mean, they're battlefield promotions for lack of a better term, right? Somebody leaves somebody's got to step into that void. Let's give them a chance. I think what is incumbent upon us in the people function is identifying where those promotions are not going well and correcting it, right? So are we assessing our managers? That's a big question I'm going to ask here is get a a system in place where we have commitments that our managers need to live by. And we're very clear about the things we're going to assess them on. And then we're going to actually assess them and we're going to say, who are our good managers, who are not our good managers, and do we need to take action on the folks who aren't our good managers? Because I'm sure everybody says it on this podcast, people leave managers, right? Um, So I really want to see us. But I've gone a long way from the original question, which is I can't imagine there aren't a lot of people sitting in manager seats right now as a a result of great uh, resignation that probably shouldn't be in those seats. Yeah, and that's a big uh, a big correction that you know will be tough and will be difficult. But I like the I like the notion of really having and I hate the word competencies because it triggers like a real old school HR part of my brain. But sometimes getting getting back to the basics can 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 get you out of you know go, going back to things that have that have been proven to work. Maybe yeah. looking that it looking at that in a new way will need to be done. But I like that idea of getting good measurement systems out there and and making the corrections because I think that's it's easy to not fix a, a difficult situation where people aren't performing the way you need them to perform. But it feels like by not addressing it, you're just you're exacerbating what the the end result will be and the harm that could be done to everyone, right? Including the individual. Yeah. who's trying to, to get, you know, get the results they're looking for in their career. Yeah, Steven. And I would just say, I really, and I'd be so intentional with my managers about this is what we're going to measure you on. This is what a great manager looks like at our organization. And that can look different from organization to one, one organization to the next, but I would be super intentional about 
it, are you comfortable with this? If not, then let's talk about what a different career path looks like for you, right? Because mm -hmm. this is what a good manager looks like. And I also had the flashback to like the Corn Ferry 38 behavioral competencies. And I think the I The cards, right? Yeah, I wish I knew the, what we were talking stickers. about. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Dan. We're, we're old heads here. Uh, you have put stickers on a board. It was a real, mm -hmm. real thing. I think Daniel may have dug up my cards at one point at Workify and was like, what are these things? And it was like these flashcards with like a hundred words on a tiny little flashcard. Oh yeah. Well, we've, we've officially made it to the rapid fire questions and I just added in a new question now that I know that that music is your passion. So to get us started, what is your go-to album that you're listening to while you're doing work? Go to do people listen to albums anymore? That's the problem. I'm a playlist guy, but if okay. you're gonna like, you can tell us what are like the what are we gonna hear on your work playlist? I guess what are, you're gonna hear um, all the way back to the Beatles and the Stones to current hip hop. So I'm I really am kind of all over the map. The thing you will not hear is any country music. I'm just very honest. No offense Ooh, to, plus to one. the folks, plus to the folks in, no offense <laughs> to the folks in Texas, but I. Uh, I really hit on everything. And I think if you were, uh, if I was really looking for one, like my desert album disc, I can't even give my old answer now because he is, he's been canceled. Uh, but uh, I, I would honestly say the Beatles revolver is like my favorite album of all time. And it's long, I'm, not, I'm old, but I'm not even close to that old, but yeah, I have appreciation for the classics. What's some of the uh, modern day hip hop that you're listening to? Oh, good. I mean, Kendrick's my, I think he's the best MC. Um, I'd, I'd uh, have to agree. Currently. And actually, he hasn't come out with anything for a little while. So I'm, I'm probably even. Uh, not he actually did. He came out with an album a couple of uh, months ago. So you should go check oh, it out. See, there we go. All right. Yeah. So, all That's... right. I need, I need to go listen. There's the album you're listening to tomorrow. <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, my, my wife made me listen to the new Taylor Swift album the other day. So I'm keeping up to date on some of these things. There you yeah, go. I, I, I had to do the same going back to, you know, to really circle all the way back to Bad Bunny. I had not I didn't know any Bad Bunny's like his his disc, discography or whatever yeah. that word is, any of his music. And it through a modern people leader, I committed and I went back and now I know a lot of Bad Bunny and I, I quite like it. I, I didn't I didn't get the hype, but uh, but I understand it now. He's huge. I'm glad that you understand it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next question. How do you define a modern people leader? Empathetic. Flexible. And I want to pull a string on that, which is this idea that time uh, spent working is important anymore is wrong. Um, it's all about allowing focus on results and allowing people to be flexible within their own lives and work. So that they can find that balance. That's a big part of what's going to win this next generation of, of talent, in my, in my opinion. Flexibility is going to rule all. And then lastly, uh, comfortable with technology, right? Um, we, we are going to continue to experiment and look at platforms like ClickUp uh, to help drive um, better work. So those are probably be three things that I, I can name a lot more, but um, those are the three things. I think it's a perfect list. All right, next question. If you could go back in time and talk to a 22-year-old version of yourself, what career advice would you give yourself and why? 
I'm glad you put career in there. Uh, uh, perspective, and I'll pull the string on that too, which is um, I was such a different person from my early 20s to my early 30s in my career in terms of um, everything was urgent, everything. The, the house was on fire. I was just so driven and so type A. I had some personal things that happened, including losing my father, that really just reset my perspective on life, and and I think in particular on work. And so I would really tell my 22 year old, uh, like it's just work. Um, no one's going to die uh, if this is wrong or this isn't done, you know, in this time frame. Like I still have a great sense of pride and ownership uh, of what I do and what my team does, but I'm also way um, less. Um, hard on myself and others uh, when it comes to what we deliver, if that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense. And uh, yeah, I this one hits home for me. I, I, I've had some stuff happen in the past couple of years that definitely shifted my perspective on life and how I view work. And even my wife, as of last week, was super stressed out on a Friday night. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm just stressed about work. And then she was like, you know what? yes, work's important, but it's just work. Like I need to just forget about it. And like, I'll come back to it. It's going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there on Monday. So I think that's, I think it's so important for people to, to realize that. And it sounds like you, you realize that pretty, pretty early on. Yeah. And listen, every day when I get home from the office, if I go in or if I walk out of this room and I see that four month old, it's like, oh, there's my dose of perspective today. Like this, this yeah. just isn't that big a deal. That's a big deal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So last question for the rapid fire portion. If you could fix any HR or people problem with the magic wand, what would it be and why? Uh, our, our, our perception, actually. The perception of people HR in so many organizations and the value we bring, I'd love to wave that magic wand so that every single leader knows this is not an administrative function. This is not a risk compliance function. This is your most important function because it cares for the most important part of your business. That would be my magic wand. I realize that exists in some organizations, but not in most. And I just wish people would know that's where we're headed. That's my magic wand wave. Love it. It's just so frustrating. I feel like anyone rooted in reality or has any exposure to to work culture and or any leadership role should see that that is the case but it's not and it's it, it it's a blind spot and it's so frustrating it's part of my mission for why we're doing modern people leader but i love that i love that well we've got two final questions or traditions to ask um you know the last question that i have is if you could nominate one person, there's there's one, you know, two, however many, um, but if there were, you know, someone we have to have on the modern people leader, who would that be for you, Jim? Um, Pat Waters. Uh, she's the chief people officer at UKG. Um, a former manager of mine, a mentor of mine. I learned something from her in every interaction I have. She's just a fascinating and wonderful woman to talk with. If you can get her and I'll make the intro, I'd have her on in a heartbeat. Uh, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm a fanboy. I've, she, she's done so many great things. And I think it was a diversity class that she has on LinkedIn. I think I've done that. 
So yeah. uh, we would we would be honored. <laughs> so she was thanks. really one of the pioneers when it came to DEI in terms of like yeah. making it really front and center for the strategy of the people organization. Well, that would be amazing if we could. And that leads us to our, uh, our, our final, final tradition. And that's one word or one phrase close. We all respond with a, a word or phrase uh, from this episode that, uh, that we want to close with. Daniel, I know you're ready to go. Oh Just yeah, I'm ready. Synchronously. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. Go now or I'm going to take it. Well, yeah, I just have one app to rule them all stuck in my head. And I've been enjoying uh, Rings of Power. I, uh, yeah, is it Ring of Power or Rings of Power? It's a, the new Lord of the Rings show on, on Amazon Prime. So I'm going to say App of Power. Nice. Nice. Love I love that. And I'm a big Lord of the Rings nerd. Uh, so that's why I was like, you better take that. It was between that or Bad Bunny. i'll go next i'll go next and i'm gonna go with it's just work because i need to remember i needed to hear that today so so thanks for that um and goodness hyphen shared perspective um i i I don't know for for whatever reason i i love i could see for both of you how much that work journey um and and really um blending that work and life together has become an important part of, of who you are and what you do. So for me, I always walk away feeling like, okay, those, those two guys get it. Um, so love it. Awesome. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? If you want to learn more about ClickUp, you know, what, what's the best way to get some more information? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would love to talk to other people leaders about like using ClickUp to manage OKRs. Uh, it's actually really powerful in that way. Goals, things of that nature. Um, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I would love to to talk to. I think I'm just uh, uh, LinkedIn slash Jim B. Or yeah, I think I I, I got a good end. Jim but B, nice. anyway, there's not a lot of Jim Bartolomeos running out uh, out there in the world. So I promise you'll find me. Mine's a string of like. 10 random characters after Daniel Huerta. I wasn't one of the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah, because I'm an old head, I got Steven Huerta. So not to be confused with Steve Huerta, who's a DJ in LA. Totally different guy. Much cooler is he, job. Is he any good? He's pretty good. I found oh, him on SoundCloud. Yeah, I, I, of course I did. Of course I did. I found him on SoundCloud. This is real weird, guys. And then we'll wrap up this episode. But... Uh, on SoundCloud, I don't know if you've spent any time on it, but you can like comment like during during like it, at certain points of the song. And I was like, you you were name brothers. I felt like I had to comment on your mix. Great mix. And he actually he actually just LOL did. He was like, ah, so I love there it. you go. Well, now we'll officially wrap up and <laughs> On that note, Jim, uh, so great chatting with you. Hopefully you'll be open to come back. We have a lot of guests that do, and we would love to, to include you as part of the Modern People Leader community going forward. And thanks a bunch. It was, it was really a great conversation. Awesome. Now, this is all pleasure on my end. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Daniel. This was a lot of fun. Well, have all a good right, rest of your week, great... Jim. Take you care. Well. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. 
it would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We wanna we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening, and and see you on the next episode.